0: It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. And today, we're going to be focusing in on another Aggie player, hoping to make his mark Down in Indianapolis at the 2020 Combine. From everything I've been told, it has been nothing short of a great performance. And that's wide receiver Kendrick Rogers. He was someone that a lot of teams were very high on heading into the season. And after a down year overall, when you look at his positives and his negatives, he just never seemed to get it together. So we're going to focus in on what his strengths were. How he tested at the NFL Combine and where he could land in April's 2020 NFL Draft. Before we begin, just a couple housekeeping rules: make sure you're following us on social media at LockedOnAggies. On Aggies. Locked On Aggies is the number one spot for all your Texas A&M airwaves. You can check out all of our great work at lockedonpodcast.com. Second, make sure you're checking out Aggies SI. All Aggies part of the Sports Illustrated Network and the Locked On Podcast Network have partnered together to give you quality content surrounding everything involving Texas A&M, Go check out all of that great work at si.com T-A-M-U. And last but not least, if you like what I'm saying, if you like what I'm hearing, if you don't like me, if you want to curse me out, if you want to give me praise, I don't really care. Whatever you want to do just to show your appreciation, let me know down in the comments. It's at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am a mister. My name is Cole Thompson. It's simple as that. Don't wear it out. At Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked on Aggies. Before we begin our conversation on Kendrick Rogers, we're going to look at Texas A&M Baseball, who now is 10-0 for the second time since 2015. They were able to get back-to-back victories over Houston Baptist and Incarnate Word. Both shutout games. 4-0 was the final in each of them. Well, the Aggies will have their first real test this upcoming weekend as they head to Frisco, Texas to take on the Frisco College Baseball Classic. This is a tournament that's only been around for, I believe, four years. This is its fourth year in fruition. Uh, And you look at some of the teams that have won this event. They've been successful after it. In 2017, the Arizona Wildcats would take home the Frisco Trophy. They would finish their year off with a 38-21 record, 64% winning percentage. They would lose in the Lubbock uh, Lubbock Regional against Sam Houston State. In Both games to be eliminated before the Super Regionals next you look at Louisiana Tech who won it in 2018 They finished the year off with a little worse record 39 and 20 They would go all the way to the Conference USA Championship finals before falling short to I believe it was Florida Atlantic who would end up going to the Super Regionals and then last year's winner, Mississippi State they would go on to post a 52 and 15 record going all the way to the college baseball world series after winning in the regional against Miami and then facing off against Stanford, winning both games, they would actually win one game against Auburn before losing to Vanderbilt and Louisville being eliminated as I believe the fourth team. So overall you look at this roster and you look at who's won in the past and how successful these teams are. It shows a lot about how the Frisco classic maybe shows how your season goes. What also I mean by that is, let's just look at how a team such as Mississippi State, who last year played in this, they won both their games against Sam Houston State and Texas Tech before a rainout against Nebraska, cost them the last game, so they would win by default to nothing. And then you look at this year's roster, and you look at some of the guys who are playing in this year, it's three ranked teams versus kind of a lesser name. I mean, that's the only way to put it. Illinois will come in with a three and three record. Meanwhile, the number eight UCLA Bruins are coming in at eight 0 and the number 17 Oklahoma State Cowboys are coming in at seven and two. So you have three teams, one ranked in the top 10, two barely outside of the top 15, and an Illinois team all playing this weekend a m will take the mound on Friday night with Asa Lacey, who's 2-0 with a one six four ERA against Ty Weber of the Fighting Illini, who is 2-0 with a 0.82 ERA. Uh, this is going to be a game that I think a lot of people are expecting AM to win, especially with the way the bats have gone. And I think that really matters depending on how Zach DeLoque, Bryce Blom, and Logan Satori play. All three of them have been major contributors over the past couple weeks. I think Satori has been that X-factor. You look at how he played last Sunday against Army. He got them the win with the RBI double in the 8th uh, inning that allowed a to regain the lead before closing it out to a 14-12 to 12 victory. But also, Zach Deluxe has been on fire. He leads the nation in RBI, bat- uh, RBI average. He leads the nation in, I think, doubles. I think he's 2nd or 3rd in hits. And then you have Bryce Blom, who is Mr. Consistent when he gets on base early. He has scored in four of the last five games. And I believe he scored in five of the last six games in the first inning. So overall, if the offense is there, this should be an easy win for AM. Saturday is going to be the game that I think a lot of people are paying attention to. You're going to have Christian Roa, 2-0, 2.45 ERA, taking on Nick Narsiti with a 2.08 ERA, 1-0. And this is against UCLA. UCLA has been known for their baseball program. And once again, they are dominating early. They're 8-0. They've won with their batting. That's the biggest thing I think a lot of people don't realize is how well the Bruins bats are right now. I think they're averaging four. 4- uh, 4.433 batting average. I think they have a total of 100 hits. So this is a dangerous team on offense. And Roa, as good as he is, because he had a great first game against Miami of Ohio. But then he kind of struggled a little bit and he relied on his bats to kind of bail him out in Saturday's game against Army. I think that this could be a trap game. And this could be where AM finally gets their first loss. So 11-1, not that bad. And then Oklahoma State. I think with Oklahoma State, all it's doing is it's pushing them up into the rankings. One of them will probably earn or garner a top 15 finish for week three in the NCAA rankings. Meanwhile, when you look at AM, if they win with Chandler Joswiak on the ra- on the mound, he's 1-0, 8 ERA. He got roughed up really bad in the middle. I think it was the fifth inning against Army last week. That's when the Black Knights kind of took control. They'll take on Bryce Osmond. He's a freshman, 0-1 record, a 7.5 ERA. They're going to need to win that game because they're going to have to score early on the freshman. One thing that AM's done very well is against younger pitchers who aren't used to this level of play. They've been able to execute early and get runs on the board. You got to see what they were able to do against Stephen F. Austin. I think it was 11-2 going into the fifth inning. Uh, off of Reese Easterling, I believe his name was, was the pitcher for Stephen F. And then you look at what they did against Prairie View A&M, another freshman pitcher. They had 27 runs in two innings of work. So if they can score early, I think if they can get that win, I predict A&M to go, I'm going to go 2-1. I think that they will drop a game here. Will they drop it against Illinois? Maybe. Maybe Illinois is a sleeper team. Maybe it's Oklahoma State. The, the the easy answer is to say it would be UCLA, but you never know, especially with a sophomore pitcher, both these guys kind of coming in with same level ERA, both have had pretty decent outings, maybe A&M gets the win on that, but I expect them to leave Frisco with a 12-1 and record at the end of it. Kendrick Rogers has been a name that a lot of scouts were high on going into the NFL draft this upcoming year, but then a down year in College Station kind of cost him some rounds. Can he make it up? And what have we seen from him in Indianapolis that could have him speaking a different tune heading into April's draft? We'll be discussing that in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Toxin here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, if you are listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, let me give you a piece of advice: you're doing something right in your life. So, whatever you want to do to celebrate that, whether it be have a slice of pie, maybe get an extra scoop of ice cream, go for a nice long walk, and sing about how perfect of a person you are, you have earned it. If you're not listening to Locked On Podcast Network, and your friends aren't listening to the Locked On Podcast Network. Get them listening. We have over two dozen college football and basketball shows ready for your listening ears. Plus, the NFL free agent market is coming around, and NFL draft coverage never sleeps. The NBA playoffs is starting to get a picture. Same with the NHL. And the start of the MLB season is right around the corner. So check out all of our great work at LockedOnPodcast.com. Courtney Davis excelled during his time at Texas A&M and he had mixed reviews leaving Indianapolis running a uh, 4-4-5 in the 40 time. A lot of people expected him to be a little lower. Uh, 4-5-5, my bad. But also, he didn't perform exactly as well on the bench press. He didn't perform exactly as well in the vertical. Maybe he took a draft stock hit yesterday. But a guy who saw his draft stock rise had to have been wide receiver Kendrick Rogers. When you look back going into the 2019 season, so many people were saying how excited they were to see Kendrick Rogers after his four touchdown performance in the seven overtime game against LSU last season. It was easily the best game of the year, and Rogers was the key factor in those overtimes. Courtney Davis set the team up. He got the touchdown as time expired. Nobody's going to forget that. But I think everyone's going to remember each overtime drive and how important Rodgers was on that play. So the hype around him going into this year when I spoke to some scouts earlier this month was this is a guy who has all the size and all the prototypical speed and skill that would merit an early round selection. And then the year happened, and injuries caught up with him. He missed the first game with a leg injury. He never really bounced back against Clemson. He didn't really have his first big-time game until it was against Ole Miss, where he had a touchdown, his first touchdown of the year. His numbers were askew. I mean, there's no other way to put it. 230 receiving yards, two total touchdowns, 30 total receptions. He finished right around the same range as freshman Aniah Smith who now is moving to running back because of? they believe that that's a better fit for him. So really, when you think about it, when two running backs, and Isaiah Spiller and Smith, who are also freshmen, are getting more time on the field and being trusted more to catch the ball than Rodgers, that either says that defenders knew that he was going to be the X-factor, we had to double-team him, triple-team him, do whatever it takes to make sure he didn't get the ball, or... More than likely, it was a down year. And Scouts I spoke to said he needs to have a big week up in Indianapolis if he wants to even merit a draft grade. Well, it's pretty safe to say that after yesterday's performance, he did. Rogers at six foot four would actually outrun Davis in both of his 40 yard dashes. First one coming in a four five two. final one, the one that really counts, which is the better number, four five one beating Davis by 0.3 seconds. So, this is also a guy who Davis was told was a speed threat. So, definitely a promise there. Plus, also when you look at him on the bench press, he finished in the top 10 of wide receivers and benching with 17 reps. Uh, Then you also look at his vertical number. I believe he had a... He had a 35.5. You look at some of the names around him, uh, they were kind of all in the same range. Only one player, Henry Ruggs, who, let's just be honest, Henry Ruggs is a freak of nature, outshined him. Uh, He had a 42. Only one other player beat him, uh, Jeff Thomas, with a 36.5 in that round. So overall, you look at the gauntlet drill as well. He had one drop pass, but that was also an overshot ball what worried me most about him in that line was his straight line speed. He was ricocheting around the place. Overall, I think that you can definitely say because of the six foot four frame and his built and his mobility, and now you put that speed in there for his for, for his size, he's going to get drafted. I don't know where. I think for sure he is a day three pick. I don't think he is going to go anywhere sooner than, I would say, the 5th or 6th round. But he has a draftable grade. And I think that's the biggest thing Rodgers wants to walk away with this. Because this was a guy a year ago who I remember people saying will be the best wide receiver in the a- in the SEC, not named Jerry Judy. It, Henry Ruggs was always going to be someone who was a speed threat. Uh, I don't know how much people were enamored by Jordan Jefferson out of LSU. Brian Edwards, there was a lot of questions about the quarterback position, so maybe that wasn't going to happen, but everything was set up for Rodgers to be the next big name. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out that way. So, I think when you look at how he performed in Indianapolis, his strengths are he has the size, and he has pretty decent hands, You throw in that little bit of speed factor, and he's a bruiser in the open field. He's hard to bring down because of that frame. Maybe you want him a little heavier, but you get him in an NFL weight room, he can easily add some weight. I don't see a problem there. I just wonder, do NFL teams view him as a caliber option to their offense, or is he just another guy who... It's going to be late round pick. Maybe we'll see what we have. Practice squad guy and eventually cut. Probably going towards the XFL or something along the lines of that. Any one of those things could be possible with him. But I do know that when you go in with an undraftable grade and you start having positivity trend on Twitter and social media in general, you're likely going to get drafted unless you somehow fizzle out at your pro day which A&N's Pro Day is later this month, or later next month, by bad, in March, uh, down at College Station. So we've already looked at how Rodgers performed, but let's ask another question. Where could he go? That's really the main subject of this conversation. Everyone wants to know where Rodgers is going and where, you know, is his best fit. I'm going to name five teams, and we're going to break that down in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked on Aggies. We're talking a little bit about Kendrick Rogers and where his projection lands right now in the NFL. I believe he is a guy that you will take off his size and his measurements alone It's somewhere in that six-round range. That's what I think. The question is, where does he fit? What's a team that definitely is going to use him? Who's someone that could use his type of frame to where maybe he's not a starter, but he could bring some reps to the team. So let's start with number one. I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins. When you look at the Dolphins lineup, they have some players. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're not great, but they have some type of players at the wide receiver position. Of course, the big name going to be Devontae Parker. He's got speed. Albert Wilson's another one, has incredible speed. Then you look at Alan Hearns. He's a guy who was really good for those two years in Jacksonville. Goes to Dallas, gets hurt, kind of has a down year overall. Then goes to Miami, kind of gets hurt again. The biggest thing that I'm noticing, though, is they don't have a big-time receiver. Because they traded away their big-time weapon in Kenny Stills to the Houston Texans last offseason. So I think when you look at Miami, they make sense because they need a premier outside receiver. Someone who can go up and get make those 50-50 contest catches, win in coverage against smaller cornerbacks, be that option on the outside, kind of bring another element to the game. Mike Gusecki, he hasn't really panned out the way I think that you want. Durham Smythe at tight end, he is a blocker. That was what he was known for at AM. He's known for that in Miami as well. At Notre Dame, my bad. But overall, I think that Miami makes a lot of sense. They have 12 or 14 picks in this year's draft. They have money to spend. And if they are to draft a guy like Tua Tungavailoa out of Alabama, or even Justin Herbert out of Oregon, you're going to want to get them weapons. You have three first round picks. You're not going to waste one on a wide receiver. You know you're going to go ahead and address the offensive line, and you're probably going to address the running back position. If not the running back position, I mean, I'm just looking at the roster right now. I think that you probably have to address either cornerback or maybe, yeah, maybe defensive line. But outside of that, I think that you look at Miami. With all their picks, they could go out and get a guy like this. Number two, I'm going to go with the Houston Texans. And here's why. Kenny Stills is a free agent next year. And sure, he was great. He was, in my personal opinion, he was the better option this year in the short-term plan than Laramie Tunsil was. Now, if Laramie Tunsil stays with the Texans and they're able to get him to a long-term contract, yeah, I think that Tunsil is definitely... The big prize package, and he'll live up to that expectation. But you look at Stills, he's a free agent next year. If he has a down year or gets hurt, Bill O'Brien's not going to keep him. Bill O'Brien's known for not keeping receivers, he's known for letting players just walk who are injured or players who maybe don't meet the criteria. So anything with Kenny Stills has a down year, he's out. You need another big time receiver. Are you going to re-sign Will Fuller? And if so, you're probably going to play him in the slot as your vertical threat, and that's about it. And DeAndre Hopkins is your possession guy. You need that guy who's that bigger frame player. And they have some picks in the 6th and 7th round that I think that they could use. Maybe they trade back a little bit, and they go ahead and pick up someone like Rodgers late. Maybe he is an undrafted free agent. But I think that would make a lot of sense for him to go there. Because they need a big-time weapon in case Stills doesn't resign with a team next offseason. Next, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas is another team. They always need weapons. They don't have a big, big frame receiver, but they have two very talented receivers in Amari Cooper, who hopefully will be back this offseason, and Michael Gallup, who broke out in year two. They have potential, but if Jason Witten is going to be your tight end again, which I don't think he will be, even if they do sign him to a one-year deal, and you fail to address the tight end position again, you have to start looking at options somewhere else. So I think right now, the best option would be a wide receiver who is big, who you can kind of play in that ra- in that frame, and Rodgers and I think a guy like Chase Clay pull out of Notre Dame are the two that make sense. The question is, do you feel comfortable enough with your linebackers, with your defensive line, with your offensive line, with your safeties, to use a second or third round pick on Claypool, or would you rather test the waters, maybe bring in some free agents that maybe you think are fringe guys, and have someone such as Rodgers compete for a position as maybe a flex tight end type player? Dak Prescott's going to need weapons. If Amari Cooper leaves in free agency, which I don't think happens, I think honestly what the plan is is that they will franchise tag Cooper and get a deal done with Prescott before any of the other stuff happens. But I just wonder, is that going to be the case? I think next team you look at right now, it's kind of an obvious one, it's Buffalo. Buffalo needs another option. They have a speed guy in John Brown. They have a shifty slot guy. In Cole Beasley they don't have a big frame receiver Robert Foster I thought was going to be that, he wasn't maybe it's because of Sean McDermott and the offense doesn't want to use him that way with Brian Dable maybe they view him as only a backup, it doesn't matter they need a big frame receiver Rodgers is that you're not going to play him week one, but at the same time we saw what Foster did, he came in late in the season, scored four touchdowns it's plausible it's very plausible for him to possibly go to a team like Buffalo. But in the end, the team that I think probably will have the best bet for him to have a successful career and a team that needs wide receivers and is never afraid to go late and find gems, it's the New England Patriots. Even if Tom Brady is not the guy under center next year, whoever is, they have to give him weapons. You have Julian Edelman, and that's it. That's really it right now. Everyone else is up for a roster spot. Jacoby Myers, a guy that I fell in love with in preseason, did nothing during the regular season. They have nothing at tight end. You have two wide receivers in your backfield and James White and I would go Sony Michelle. That's a problem. No matter what, I think Bill Belichick is going to use at least two or three draft picks on wide receivers, especially if they get TB12 back in the building. So, I don't know where this whole narrative of, yeah, sure, we're going to look at this team and we're going to say, oh yeah, Tom Brady's fine with the weapons he has. No, he's not. He needs weapons. Rodgers is a guy who I think in the right system would thrive. A Josh McDaniels offense has been known to make receivers better. Why not? They have picks in the 6th and 7th round. If they still have not addressed the wide receiver needs, this is where I think Bill Belichick addresses that need. So personally, yeah, I think right now, if I'm looking at this, I would go Rodgers to New England, book it, just for the sheer fact of this is what Bill Belichick does. He finds guys who maybe didn't have the best college careers, maybe who weren't the biggest stars on the team, and he turns them into them in Foxborough. There's a reason why I say Rodgers is one of the most talented receivers to come through A&M in the last decade, because there's so much untapped potential there. Maybe Kevin Sumlin didn't get out of him. Jimbo Fisher certainly didn't get out of him. Maybe Bill Belichick would, and that's exactly what Bill Belichick does. And that is going to be this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked on Aggies. Tomorrow, we will be breaking down Justin Matabike. Where could he land in the NFL draft, and what are his strengths and weaknesses? Plus, it's Friday, so it's going to be Asking Aggies. Make sure you download and listen to the podcast. We will see you tomorrow. And remember, gig'em y'all, this has been... Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.